the, 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 the film is lit podcast. And here's our schedule. Four o'clock, record an episode of the podcast on how the Grinch stole Christmas. 4.30, stare into the abyss. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. We're booked. Books that should be movies. Welcome to Film is Lit. The full spoilers podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or television adaptation. Ho, ho, ho. Today is our special Christmas holiday version of our podcast. We made it this Yay, year. finally. Finally. <laughs> we made the deadline, um, which is rare for us. My name is Danny. He, him. I'm the self-appointed film expert. My name is Laura. She, her. And I'm the self-appointed lit expert. And we've got a little extra guest host today her name is pippi the dog piper Yay. yes she's a little rambunctious but she's our max she's Aww, our, it's very she's appropriate max. yeah yeah she's so sweet hello pippi and just like max in the movie you've got a a whole agenda of your own yes yeah we love you very much but yes welcome welcome we're so happy to tackle this millennial favorite there's a lot of nostalgia oh, yeah. caked into this episode although i'd say for fans of the book and the original television and special, nostalgia also applies yeah. to that as well. Yeah. This is a childhood favorite that has somehow turned into not a cult favorite because it was a hit when it when the movie was initially released in the year 2000. Can you believe it? 22 years ago. Yeah. We were going into first grade. Yeah, and I had just met Allison. Uh, previous guest on the pod yeah, for those. Yeah, my best friend. <laughs> yeah, you can listen to Allison on our episode on Persuasion. Yep. Um, yeah, so what a fun fan favorite we have today. It's always a fun... Christmas, this is my favorite holiday. 100%. I mean, is there anything better? No, there's not. I love this season. Even though we live in California, we don't get snow or rain, really, or cloudy weather. <laughs> <laughs> or just um, weather, yeah. Yeah, it's still just the favorite yeah. of mine, yeah. The ours goat, the goat <laughs> the christmas movie. would you say this is your favorite no elf probably no i would have to say muppet christmas carol oh which yeah we covered last year just a, a tad late a smidge late i think it was mid-january well it we was came. so late that we covered it this year because oh that's right <laughs> january that's right. of this year which is so fun oh my gosh and it was like before our wedding yeah, yeah. but um yeah we covered that last year that is my all-time favorite yeah that's a good one um I don't have the nostalgia factor for that since I'd watched it for the first time yeah. for this podcast. I would say probably the most classic is Elf because that came out when we were in third grade too, and yeah. it's become just such a staple. But this is is right behind there. When it came out in first grade, I think we were a little too young to get a lot of the jokes. Oh my God, um, <laughs> yeah. I still hear jokes in this, new jokes. Like right. every time I watch it, I still hear something and I'm like, did they just slide like a prostitution joke into this movie? Well, yeah. <laughs> they slid a swingers joke in there, a swingers yeah. party, as well as uh, when the babies are delivered. It's like, honey, our baby arrived. Kind of looks like your boss. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Slid an adultery yeah. joke in there too. But, yeah. uh, well, potential. It's up to your interpretation. Oh, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fully a, an adultery joke, yeah. But even the nuances and the little pop culture jabs that Jim Carrey makes, he, you couldn't appreciate as a kid. He and, ma- yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. The older you get, the more you appreciate the... I mean, 
it's funny to call it this, but like a really layered performance. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons that we're excited to talk about it on the podcast, because it's not just the 1966 animated version, mm-hmm. which is good, but it's just a one-to-one adaptation of the children's mm-hmm. poem kind of story yeah. by Dr. Seuss, a.k.a. Theodore Geisel, from Spring- Springfield, Massachusetts. Well, so I guess the only reason I'm talking about it now is just to say that it's a simple story that I think the movie elevates to higher levels of not only meaning, but also just fun. Like yeah. the movie is so much funner than just reading the book, which is also very fun. Like I have to admit, it's a very like kinetic, you know, like you can you can almost hear those quotes yeah. even just through the illustrations. Um like when he says, the noise, 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 noise. Like you can hear all that stuff, you know, and it's yeah. fun, but the movie just elevates it to something, to new heights. Sure. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's get into our personal journeys with the material. So I grew up in Westfield, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Springfield, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Springfield, a happening town where <laughs> both volleyball and basketball were invented, crazy enough. A lot of stuff happens in Springfield, yeah. Mass. That's also where the Basketball Hall of Fame is, right? Yep. Yeah, Springfield, yep. Mass. I don't know if there's a Volleyball Hall of Fame. I should look I that up. <laughs> but it's the hometown of our boy, Dr. Seuss. So there is a whole museum, kind of like a courtyard of buildings in Springfield, Mass, uh, dedicated to Dr. Seuss and his body of work. And I grew up going there for field trips, for family trips, uh, with friends. I would go there almost every year, and I know that whole museum in and out by this point. So Dr. Seuss was a huge part of my life. Obviously, the seminal stories, the cat and hat, green eggs and ham, all part of the curriculum. Um, but I the think... Gaylord cur- curriculum. Yes. I saw this with my mom in the year 2000. We were heading into first grade... I remember liking it, but being a bit like freaked out by the kind of the bizarre nature of it all. For sure. Yeah, the, the Who's definitely have a look that Ron Howard, yeah. director Ron Howard, went for, uh, and it's it, it can be at times pretty intense for kids. But in 2002, the Gaylord family got a DVD player. Oh. Yeah, and I remember the very first the two DVDs we got. It was. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Oh my God, such classic movies of the early aughts. And How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So I watched those two movies probably a billion times. Yeah. Especially The Grinch around Christmas time. I've seen this countless times. In fact, I've seen it so many times that I kind of go into a trance because I know it so well. Mm-hmm. I start, it's like I'm speaking in tongues where I'm just quoting the movie as it's going on or I'm like a second in front of the movie the entire mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And I know the plot so well that I just, my brain goes into autopilot. So it's not that I'm not appreciating it as much as I used to. It's just, I just, I know this piece, I know this piece of art so well that it, it feels a part of me. I guess that's why I think it's really fun for us to watch movies for the podcast. And it's kind of what I assume it feels like showing your kids a favorite movie. Because it's almost like you get to see it like fresh because you're looking for specific things. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's like 
I, I've watched this movie a bunch, not as much as you, admittedly, but yeah. I not was that it's even, a contest, but I won. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but even just to watch it for the podcast, I was picking up on new things, little things that we can talk about later. But I think yeah. that's why it's kind of fun to revisit things in this context specifically. Oh, for you know? sure. Yeah. Jim Carrey, I've modeled my whole like comedic sensibilities yeah. around him. I mostly from this movie, but also from Ace Ventura when nature calls. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That pl- used to play on TNT. I think it was TNT or TBS all the time and my brothers and I would watch that. So, and then of course, The Truman Show is my favorite movie of mm-hmm. all time. Jim Carrey has an amazing performance um, in, in that. He was not nominated for an Oscar. I don't know why, but yeah, so I, I'm kind of in awe of Jim Carrey, even though in his later years, he's kind of gotten a bit kooky. But, I was going to use the same word. I was going to um, say he's a bit of a kook. Yeah. Yeah, he's, a, he's a bit, you know. He's out there. He's out there, but so am I. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I've been accused of the same thing. So yeah, I've read the book, you know, countless times as well. I've only seen the special once, believe it or hmm. not. I have a very vivid memory of watching the special in second grade in Miss Chenard's class and being a bit disappointed because I had seen the movie first mm. and I was expecting that level of, I don't know, depth and humor. Mm. When, you know, the special is, like you said, just a one-to-one adaptation. It's 26 minutes with credits. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, I'm not saying that the special is poor in any way it's just when you compare it to this behemoth of a movie of set design Mm -hmm. uh, makeup yeah um, humor yeah it it can't compete so yep that's my journey how about you laura good stuff i similarly grew up watching the 1966 classic because my parents grew up on it so i think that was the only thing that they associated with the book and Again, like you, I grew up reading a lot of Dr. Seuss, including this book, which came out in 1957. I'm excited to share with listeners that I found a first edition of How the Grinch Stole Christmas at Goodwill. So that's the copy that we have at home. And I have no idea when I first read it. And I also have no idea the first time I watched How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version. Mm-hmm. Did you I have see no it memory. In theaters? No. Okay. Definitely not. I, I just like I don't know that my parents would have seen that and been like, oh, that's something we're gonna bring our kids to. <laughs> I don't even think yeah. that I saw Elf in theaters. I definitely saw that after it had come out on mm. DVD a few years later. So I don't. I just don't think that my parents were like doing like taking us to movies as much. I guess. Sure. So I didn't see it in the theaters. I have no memory of seeing it the first time. But the first time I saw it, I was like. This is such a great take because yeah. I was just so used to the the kids' story. Um, so I think that's pretty much all that I have in terms of journey. But I think it's also fun to note that my parents, on a, we used to go on road trips a lot when I was a kid. And we ended up being in Springfield, Mass. for the Basketball Hall of Fame. And also, we went to the Dr. Seuss Museum. Perhaps we crossed paths. I know, which would have been, like, the closest that Danny and I ever would have been physically, I think. Obviously, without Tinder, we probably never would have crossed paths. Yeah. But that's probably the closest we ever would have gotten to organically meet when I was, like, 
10. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's kind of like a fun little thing. Because even if even if we were in Springfield and you were on and you were in Westfield that day, whenever it was, yeah. um, you know, we were pretty close. Yeah, that's, 20 minutes away. Yeah, like a couple exits away from yeah. Westfield. So that's just kind of fun for me to think about. Wow. Um, yeah, but other than that, that's it for me. That's your journey? That's it. That's all I have. All right, let's get into the differences here. So, so in the original book, you'll notice that none of the characters are in color. Yeah, all of the illustrations are sort of in like a dichromatic, probably just because of like printing restrictions. Mm-hmm. The only colors in there are black and red. Mm. And so things like the Grinch's eyes are red mm-hmm. <laughs> and his Santa Claus coat is red. He doesn't wear pants. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which couldn't do it today. You'd be, can- you'd be canceled in a second. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that's kind of fun. And I was trying to look around to see where the idea to, to give the Grinch his characteristic green color came from and i think it must have been the 1966 adaptation that's what i first thing that i can find yeah but then since then god forbid you make the grinch any other color Mm -hmm. i mean how could you it's his iconic hue right as far as i know from my research the first instance of the grinch being green was in the special and that's what is something that sets him apart immediately from the rest of the Who's? I almost said Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, this this story is about someone who is ostracized and, and is isolated. It's more or less implied that the Who's are the real villains of the story. The Grinch is not a villain, which the movie really capitalizes on. I was going to say definitely more so in the 2000 movie, because I think the Who's aren't really made out to be the villains in the book. Right. They're like... They're purely just like, why does this guy really care? Like, we don't really have any one-on-one interaction with the Who's, except for Cindy Lou is really the only one that he talks to directly. Mm-hmm. And even that is like a one-page kind of throwaway thing where, you yeah. know, he's just kind of the drama comes where he's been seen, almost like a Santa Claus moment. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, shit. Like... The kid woke up. We have a waker <laughs> from Arthur Christmas. We have a waker. Um, so that's really the only thing that comes out of the Who interaction until the very end. And I have to say, a lot of good things came out of the 1966 adaptation. Like, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Yeah. That song. And then also the final, da who do that whole thing right um so like those i thought it was quite delightful that those popped up again yeah. in the newest version actually i shouldn't say that in the 2000 adaptation oh yeah because there's a 2018 version with benedict cucumbers yeah um I thought it was quite delightful that they kind of had some holdovers and some waves or nods to that classic because I think a lot of our parents' generation view that adaptation as like the classic, yeah. you know, the Christmas special. So it's kind of fun. Um, and I think that those just add to the levels of like homage, I guess, that mm-hmm. the 2000 movies pay, that the 2000 movie pays to not only the book, but also the animated version right so some of the some of the other differences between the book and the movie so i think the book 
is really, I think my my only criticism of the book, I, it's hard to criticize a children's book that's been around since 1957. Like, mm-hmm. But I think, again, it kind of, it's like very similar to our issue with Fantastic Mr. Fox that we covered in our last episode, because it's just so simple yeah. that I think that it fails to go to the depths of, of exactly like, like we don't get any background on the Grinch. Yeah. And I really enjoy the background about how the Who's are actually the problem right. in the Grinch's decision to self-isolate. And that also leads to like deeper and deeper self-loathing because mm-hmm. he keeps like going back to that trauma of being bullied, like severely bullied, right. not just like, you know, called me ugly or something one time like he's systematically severely bullied for being different yeah and i kind of like how that adds to the level of his like self-hatred and then the final like healing that comes around in the final moments of the movie Mm -hmm. yeah it just adds so much dimension because in the book the grinch doesn't like christmas purely for the avarice and the the gluttony aspect yeah of christmas right the the noise the the noise (laughs) the 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 commercialism but the movie takes it a step deeper because it's the same problem at first right in the town where everyone is focused on buying things buying things and the grinch is already a social pariah in a sense right as a kid but the one time he lets his guard down, the minute he lets his yeah. guard down and makes something with his bare hands, which is very important. <gasps> oh, I want to talk about that too. Yeah. Th- this is this is extremely important that you really only see the Grinch making stuff in the movie. The Grinch is sustainable. I'm so excited yes. to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone is focused on commercialism and buying things, right? And now the Grinch makes something, which everyone knows is more meaningful yeah right to you can go and and spend a pretty penny on an expensive gift and send it to someone's house but if you spend the time to make something with your bare hands Mm -hmm. that time and effort time is the most valuable resource you can give someone and to show someone that you used your time Mm -hmm. any of your time on them is so meaningful. So the Grinch does that once as a kid, and he's immediately ostracized and vilified by the Who community, specifically the mayor as a little kid, that little shit. And he decides then and there that he's not going to spend time with Yeah, so as like a 10-year-old kid is when he moves to Mount Crumpet. Right. Which is like so devastating. Yeah. That scene kills me mm-hmm. it, it would kill anybody like it just re- it's like really emotionally gut punching right and that that theme comes back about an hour into the movie um at the annual hubilation yeah <laughs> so again it's been how many ever years since the grinch ran away from home right and then he's finally being accepted back into the community it seems like but really it's not acceptance the who's are are pushing gifts and prizes on on him and the mayor at the same time thinks he can buy martha may's love yeah right where it's clear that every time the grin shows up uh, christine baranski <laughs> is like dry heaving oh. on the verge of you know 
climax. Yeah. <laughs> it's a her, her character is so funny, but it's like extremely sexualized. Yes. Like to the point where as a movie. kid it made me uncomfortable and I and I didn't know why. I didn't have the words or the thought process to Sherlock Holmes why I was feeling uncomfortable at that point. Sure. The mayor manga Augustus played thi- by Jeffrey Tambor. Yep. Yeah. Um thinks he can buy love via a big diamond ring and a new car, right? That's even a and joke. And a new mm-hmm. car. Yeah. When really the Grinch just showing up and trying to put in the effort is more of a meaningful gesture to Martha May. But of course, he lets his guard down again and it is immediately vilified again with the razor and everyone laughing at him. So yeah, the I think the book is a little more focused on the Grinch being... Uh, kind of like misunderstanding Christmas a bit too much. Whereas the movie is like full-fledged. The Grinch is an anti-hero and the Who's are the real villains. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) I'm the who bin. It's me. (laughs) And if anything, the Grinch in the movie doesn't steal Christmas. He saves Christmas. Oh, 100%. Because by removing the gifts... He proves to all the Who's that, oh, Christmas is not about the gifts. It's about being together. Yeah, so exactly. What I wrote down is that because it's a children's book, it's more straightforwardly didactic. And so I quoted at the very end, it came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from the store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, that's very straightforwardly like, hey, kids, you know, Christmas isn't about presents. It's about family time and love and taking the time to spend with people you love. Stuff like that. Yeah. So Like I me? Can, yeah, like my baby. Um, so I completely agree. I think, like, the twist of the movie is that the Grinch was never the bad guy. Yes. He's sustainable. <laughs> he... You know, like, he literally lives in a garbage dump and salvages... He dumpster dies every day. Yeah. And he even eats garbage. Like, he's a he's a net zero yeah. <laughs> human or creature. Yeah. And, or... You know, I was thinking about this, too. Is he a who? Because he has the same facial features as a who. Mm-hmm. He's just He's just green and a little hairier. So I think he is a who. Yes. Uh, so he's a net zero who that gets everyone else to understand the same anti-commercialism message about christmas and but but like you're saying too it goes even further than anti-commercialism it's also about sustainability (laughs) i keep he literally dumpster dives he eats garbage and he makes everything beautiful out of repurposed items Mm -hmm. i i mean (laughs) fight me if you want but that's how i feel about it um i also just think that i'm primed to like this story because it's not necessarily like a Christian message. I think it's a fairly secular message about just where we put our value in this time of the season, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's just an extra reason why I like this movie <laughs> even more. If but. you're, if you have your films lit bingo card, uh, note that <laughs> Laura is happy. There's no mention of religion. We should make a, we should make a film is lit bingo card. That's such a cute idea. Right. That's a really cute idea. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna TM. I just know you're gonna create that. Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting how you tie this into Christianity, and there it is. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> end of thought. End of thought. Okay. 
Yeah, I have no comment on that. But I do have a comment on how Ron Howard, director Ron Howard, takes the world building of that Dr. Seuss set up and expands it into filmic language in a mm. in a way that is endlessly rewatchable and yeah. fun because it is a real environment. So in 2000, this was the biggest set that Universal had ever built. It was in their back lot. Most of it is still in the Universal back lot. I used to pass it a few times when I was working at the, the Hollywood Haunted Mazes and the Killer Clowns Maze. As uh, Chubby. Yeah, as Chubby the Clown. <laughs> yeah, the... The set has experienced, you know, two decades of the sun beating down on it, so it's not as vibrant anymore. Mm. But yeah, so apparently there's two miles of foam. Wow. Yeah, used on the set. It's a real life set, and everything is real except for digital who's put in the background to make it oh, look cool. like a full thing. But I think why kids and now adults have so much nostalgia for it is that it feels like a kids movie like it was directed and visualized for kids mm -hmm. but the humor of Jim Carrey in his performance is timeless so that's why you can you can watch it now later as an adult perfect segue because something i wanted to talk about was how poignant this message is for not only kids because like we talked about with the book the book is very specifically targeted at kids to remind them that what this time of year is about. Again, reconnecting with family, blah, 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 everything we've already talked about. But something that I think is so perfectly balanced in this movie is that like adults almost need that message even more. Yes. And I love that this movie is able to remind adults of that mm -hmm. because like if you think about it, think about two of the most iconic or classic Christmas stories, I would say is like, Christmas Carol and the Grinch. Mm -hmm. And both of those kind of anti-heroes are Grinch-ish. And in oh, fact, yeah. in fact, those two stories have even introduced a common vernacular. If you call someone a Scrooge or a Grinch, mm -hmm. usually you're talking about an adult mm -hmm. that has lost touch with that like childlike wonder of of re even receiving a gift. I mean, you know, it is fun to give gifts but it's also makes you feel very special when you get a gift that yeah. someone has spent time and thought mm -hmm. to put into that like gift interaction and so like i love that this movie like we're able to sit down and also be reminded that sometimes we can be a grinch yes and and especially in as, a, as an adult because there's always that you know, even in like Hallmark movies, there's always that main character who's become a Grinch because yeah. of life circumstances, right? Their their job is too overbearing or they've just been through a breakup or a parent has died or something like that. And they've just sort of shut down that yes. empathetic side of themselves. Workaholics that have a, an assignment in a small town in the Northeast <laughs> and they meet right. someone who works on a farm and then they have raucous love making in the barn oh my god and then they realize that that farmhand was a spirit all along <laughs> yeah. okay i'm gonna pull that narrative back <laughs> sorry i ran just, with it we're just talking about the the, the anti-hero sort of protagonist of the movie yeah but but that's what i think is so beautiful because we we like if you take the book at face value it's reminding children that christmas is more than the presents and that's important because that's really what 
what children can conceptualize about Christmas. It's yes. that you start getting gifts. So I understand the the need or the want to redirect their I guess as a growing child, you want to redirect that energy and yes. say, like, just remember as you grow older, this is something that can become even more exaggerated. And so I that was sort of a new message that I took from this watch mm-hmm. that as an adult you you should also not think of that as just a children's message. Yes. It's definitely something that just gets more exaggerated and, and you should like recenter yourself. Yes. Yeah. Well, around the time this was released in 2000, in-store Black Friday shopping was a, a huge thing. Oh, and you'd, you'd hear sure. stories of people getting trampled on yeah. Black Friday. Yeah. And, Fights. And, and malls were in their heyday, oh, right? yeah. Now, especially with COVID, malls are a dying breed. And Black Friday is literally all month of December, yeah. Yeah. right? November. Yeah, starts no- in November. Starts in November yeah. and goes all the way to like Black Friday deals. There really isn't a Black Friday anymore. Right. Well, and then there's Cyber Monday exactly. and then there's Small Business Saturday. Right. Right. So I think... I think the movie really focuses on that in-store crazy buying period, that pe- that frenzy that people go into that has been lessened, which is good for, I guess, consumers, bad for businesses. However, what the movie did predict is that shopping, this frenzied shopping would still exist. And now in modern days, it's in the form of online shopping. And that is where it is easy for people to forget the spirit of Christmas because it is so... I I can't tell you how incredibly stress-free it is for me to buy gifts when I can just go online and click something and it'll be at our house. And in that way, I do lose the spirit of Mm. Christmas because I'm so just focused on the buying, whereas I think the more meaningful gifts, as you said, are the ones that you make. So I was going to comment on that too, because it's so interesting to me how commercialism will adapt. Yes. Right? Because you're totally right that this movie was created in the heyday of in-person shopping. Yeah. That is not to the same level anymore. I completely agree with you. And especially post-COVID. Like, you nailed that thought. It's just so interesting to me that, like, again, commercialism will adapt. And so even those things like Cyber Monday created by Amazon, Small Business Saturday, all of these Created by Amazon as well. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, honestly, probably. (laughs) It's an inside job. Um, But, like, it's so interesting to me. And and it it even goes to show that as adults, we still need to be reminded that no matter what commercialism looks like, you're never going to have the emotional depth of just being a nice person mm-hmm. or putting the time and effort into making a gift that might not look perfect or might not be like quote unquote store bought, but is more significant because of that fact. So right. I, I think that, again, this is just a great lesson on like reminding yourself what to look for and what Christmas does not look like or does not feel like mm-hmm. no matter what, like maybe something's just feeling wrong. And maybe it's the fact that I don't know, you're just being a Grinch or someone else is being a Grinch or you've purchased something online and it's just not as special. Right. And you know who understands that better than anyone? Better than the Grinch even? Cindy Lou Who. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Cindy it took me Lou a minute Who. to catch on. Yeah. Yes, Played by a point. young Taylor Momsen who is five years old. 
pre gossip girl <laughs> yeah pre the band she was in too she's yeah. like a punk rocker i think she's still that's like her main source of income i think yeah. she's still in the band yeah what a career yeah, yeah. so literally the cutest kid i've ever seen in my, oh my life yeah and I like how she's played as a kid. They use her cuteness to her advantage. I mean, that's a big part of why she was cast. Yeah. But kids in general, it's so tricky because they're kids. They don't have the experience that seasoned actors have. Yeah. But she plays it with the right level of cuteness, naivete, but also that childhood innocence that like she she's confused because she's been taught that Christmas is a time where you just buy gifts, but it's more meaningful to be with people. So why is everyone so focused on, on buying stuff? And the decorations yeah. and the show of Christmas. Right. Yeah. She, she's just a little kid. She just doesn't understand. But she's also the only person who knows, well, only person outside of Martha May, who knows that the Grinch is not the villain that everyone mm-hmm. is labeling him as. Because he saves her. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the character development that she gets in the movie versus the original book. Because Cindy Lou is the only who that gets a name. But that's the only thing that really individualizes her outside of the community. Mm -hmm. She gets a name. Big deal. Okay, so what? It could have been any who. It just happened to be Cindy Lou who. Um, And so I think that even that may have been a little bit of like an intuitive decision on Ron Howard's part where like we've been talking about how this is such a children targeted message but Cindy Lou is the only one who gets that already like you're totally right the innocence of that character makes her the only person that can recognize the fact that commercialism isn't what Christmas should be about right so that's like that furthers the whole theme about those people who are considered outsiders, because she's definitely also bullied. Maybe not bullied, but she's kind of... People keep accusing her of being too naive. Yeah. Um, because she's a child, and they're like, well, you just like haven't gotten to the point where you figured out what yeah. Christmas is really about. Haven't um, even grown into your nose yet. <laughs> right, exactly. So she's not like bullied, but she's definitely not taken seriously because right. of her age. But that's... I think, again, like I don't know if Ron Howard would have made that... Maybe he did, uh, but I don't know if that's like an explicit thing that even came to my mind until we started talking about that. But but because of her age and innocence, she's the one who's able to see that truth. Yeah. So I think that kind of like flips the book on its head and Mm -hmm. says like kids can't like kids are smarter than you think. Yes. Right. Like they know when something doesn't feel good and maybe they can't quite put words to it, but they know. Yeah. And their innocence is essentially a superpower. You know what I just thought of? What? You're right. I just thought that Ron Howard is making an argument that this book doesn't even need to exist in the children's form that it does. He's saying, throw the children's book out, hold the mirror up to yourself. Maybe you're the Grinch. Yeah. Because you're the adult that's, that's (laughs) teaching these kids this message. But he's saying like, kids don't need that. It's the parents who are like, dumping the gifts on the kids instead of taking a step back and saying like, what if we, so this, this brings me to my major thematic issue of actually both the book and the movie. Ooh. I have a big issue and I was going to say this to the end, but I think this kind of naturally segues into my idea. I think that it's a huge misstep on both the book and the movie 
that the Grinch actually saves the sleigh that's full of his loot. Oh, yeah. I have always felt that that should have gone over Mount Crumpet. And even though everything was gone, the spirit of Christmas still shined through. Right. That has always bothered me. Because I think like it's like so easy for the Who's to forgive the Grinch because he comes back with everything. Mm. And I think if it would have been a more challenging message and even furthered the theme of forgiveness mm-hmm. because the Grinch showed up and apologized and said, I did this thing and it can't be fixed. And they said, that's okay. Yeah. We don't need this stuff. All we need is each other. And, and you know, at least nobody like got hurt or something like that. I think that actually would have made... A, a more, uh, I, I think it would have furthered the theme. Hear that? That snaps. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can see that, but listeners, do you hear that? <laughs> yeah. I'm sna- I'm snapping for a while. Yeah, Laura. yeah. I think he. I think they sh- the loot should have gone over the top of Mount Crumpet. Does that make me a Grinch? I don't think it does. No. If anything, the opposite, because yeah. you're arguing for the point that Dr. Seuss originally made that it's not about. Yeah, I think it's too easy that he brought everything back, and then everyone was like, "Oh, it's fine." Okay, this kind of segues into the critical reception for the movie when Mm. it came out. I will say I completely, 100% agree with you. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why the the last 10 minutes didn't, not felt bad, but like it's like awkward thematically. Mm. And so what's so funny is now, this is going to my next point, is that when this was released in 2000, the movie, it was not well received Mm -hmm. it received like uh medium lukewarm reviews mostly around like two out of four stars most Mm -hmm. notably from our boy roger ebert rest in peace but uh, critics would argue that it was both too adult but then too wacky like so it was like it didn't have a market like it it was too scary and uh, mature for kids but then adults couldn't appreciate jim carrey's like slapstick humor which is so ridiculous because because every year it's like the funniest thing we watch danny does (laughs) such a great i will say it's so much fun to watch this movie with danny because he literally turns into jim carrey i don't know how you do it but danny's face like you have such a great i don't i don't even know what to call it but it's like the the high outside yeah, the lips, smile that the, he does. The smile, and then Danny like pooches out his, <laughs> his little tummy and walks around with a hunched back. I've got a little paunch. I've got a I've got a you, Grinch you figure. You push it out. <laughs> you push it and exaggerate. Yeah. I I don't think you have a paunch. You're being self deprecating. But he, Danny does such a great Grinch, and it's so fun to watch him watch this movie because I love to hear Danny giggle, and and I feel like it's rare when you giggle in movies and stuff. It's just so so cute, and then you do your Grinch yeah. impersonation. It's just so funny. Yeah. In fourth grade, I discovered that I think I think I have extra muscles in my upper lip. No, I think it, you trained your muscles to do that because you did it so much. But the thing is, I was. <laughs> able to just do it one day it's like i didn't train it's just i could just do it one day and i don't know how but like i can make my upper lip into what looks like a beak a little point yeah it's a Um, beak yeah yeah, but the sides of my mouth shoot up and it looks like i'm doing that grinch smile that he does at the beginning there and uh, throughout the movie yeah 
So going back to my point is that Roger Ebert argued that it was a little awkward how in the final 10 minutes they just throw in another conflict of now they're going down the mountain with all the gifts and they might run in and destroy all the gifts at the end there. Mm. And he said like the climax has already happened. There's a resolution. And then it's like they're almost tacking on this extra little conflict just to pad out the the runtime what is the conflict that they're going down the mountain with all the stuff and they're in danger of crashing oh okay okay right and to almost speak to your point is that no they should have the the gifts should have gone over the yeah fell into oblivion yeah 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 i think that would have made for a stronger case about what i was gonna say thanksgiving christmas is it's pretty funny to go back and look at reviews and and all signs pointed to this being a financial hit that would fade into holiday oblivion when the opposite has happened. It's become an endearing classic, mostly because of millennials, right? We, when yeah. people who were born in the 90s, it's it's really become a favorite, which is it's just funny how time time shows what movies last, right? Yeah. This applies to like Best Picture Oscars, right? Oh, yeah. There are countless best picture winners that people have literally forgotten about there is zero social cachet there and a lot of times the movie that loses the runner-up so to speak is the one that lasts Mm, yeah good point we talked about that in brokeback mountain with crash yeah um we also talked about it in our last episode about the french dispatch Mm -hmm. i'm gonna make the case that in 10 years a lot of people are gonna be like ah Maybe that's not as good as I thought it was when it first came right, out. Right. Exa- agreed. Um, so it's funny, too. I, As you were talking, this kind of came to my mind because I read a book recently called Colorism, which is a hundred years of black history in Hollywood. And there's a chapter, I think it's about a chapter, where it talks about how hard it is for black filmmakers to get films made. Because a lot of times if you pitch an idea... The way to get funding is to say, like, this movie is similar to this other movie, right? And and it's hard for Black storylines who've historically been oppressed to gain traction like that because they don't necessarily have a movie to point at and say it's like this. So I'm thinking about that in context of this movie. There's nothing that I can come up with that's really like what this is. It's it's almost like a stop motion animation, but like humans. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to come up with... I mean, Ron Howard, I think, is an aberration in himself. Obviously, he was a child actor who's grown into, like, a extremely successful financially. Like, he makes good movies. He's kind of, like, mm-hmm. in the echelon of, like, Steven Spielberg, I would say. Like, right. he just makes good movies. So I feel like it's interesting because I, I can't imagine him, like, going into this and being like, what what can I what can I pitch this movie as? Like, what is it going to be like? What is it going to look like in terms of something that I can kind of say like, oh, this is going to be like this. Right. So it's just kind of interesting that this got made. And I understand how like our generation wasn't there to support it and say like, oh, we want that. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. It's just such a, it's an aberration. It's really not like any other movie right. that I can think of. Well, because now it's either like animated, like the 2018 Benedict Cumber Buns one or yeah. right right a fully like CGI right or yeah like fully they're at a sound stage in, in Manhattan Beach right. and this is like 
Well, they were at a studio for shooting this, but it's like a real set. Yeah. Real tangible characters. But it almost feels like... There are a few moments, I think, even when we were looking at each other and we were like, this almost feels Tim Burton-esque. Yeah. Because it's Mm stop-motion-esque with all of the facial applications. Mm -hmm. But it is live action. Right, and then kind of the the triangular sloping houses and architecture is very Tim Burton-esque. Apparently, he was at one point signed on to direct, but he left the project due to scheduling conflicts. I'm so happy that he didn't direct this, actually. I feel like that would be too dark and too somber. It might be too dark, I think Ron Howard deftly, he makes it mature, but it's also very whimsical and funny and lighthearted. I feel like Tim Burton would be the wrong... The wrong director for this story. I totally agree. Like, he 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 does good stuff with dark. Like, I like Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. Um, I'm just saying, like, he does good work with like the holiday darkness, but it's a darker movie. Mm. Um, and I think maybe he would have been like distracted. Sometimes I think Tim Burton can put a little too much into his films. Like, oh, sometimes. He gets, he gets, yeah, no. I, I, what I'm saying is, and and I again, I know the Henry Selleck thing with this specific message i think tim burton might have gotten a little distracted with things for sure yeah ron howard has been known as kind of a journeyman director which is one person he doesn't have a distinct style kind of means whatever the project that he's given he adapts his style to that particular project now because he doesn't have a distinct directing template a lot of his films can feel a little bit stale or unmemorable because Mm. of that, right? Mm. Being a journeyman isn't necessarily a good thing for directors. Sometimes sometimes they can just be, you know, like paid uh, paid jobs, right? Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't say Ron Howard is particularly my favorite, but some of his films are, are like classics. Like this, of course, Apollo 13 is great. So this is interesting that you're talking about this. Because when you started talking about him being a journeyman director, I always go back to my favorite project that he's worked on, which is Arrested Development. And it made me start thinking about how funny Arrested Development is. And I think that's maybe what I was trying to say about Tim Burton. Like with the adaptation of a children's book, you can go a bunch of different ways. Like we talked about in our Fantastic Mr. Fox episode, Mm -hmm. Wes Anderson took that in a dark, he interpreted that to be a darker theme than it was in the book tim burton has done that too and what i think is so beautiful about what ron howard did with this piece was that like when you think of dr seuss you think of the silliness of it Mm -hmm. at its heart it's very silly and i think dr seuss like okay i'm gonna geek out a little bit i actually do it girl okay i actually performed scansion on the book, which means you figure out what meter the poetry is written in, the verse is written in. Honey, so, it's pronounced scantron. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> you took a test. <laughs> Honey, are you are you okay? Oh gosh, I'm so no, sorry. She's having one of her episodes. <laughs> I know. I really am really geeking out about this. I actually, so I was doing this late the other night, and I was texting Dr. Flory again, who's been on the podcast a bunch, because I figured out that. Dr. Seuss very consistently writes in antiseptic tetrameter. Um, Honey, it's antiseptic, (laughs) and it's what's in our medicine drawer. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, that means that there are, that there's a, like a rhythm 
yeah. to his poetry that's like unstressed syllable, unstressed syllable, stressed syllable. And that's a very classic way of writing like comedic or children stories because it creates this like breezy melodic mm. tone and feel to Definitely. his poetry. So for example, I wrote down why for 53 years I've put up with it now. I must stop this Christmas from coming, but how? You can tell it kind of has this fun beat. Yes, spitting bars. (laughs) Spitting antiseptic tetrameter bars. (laughs) It's so nerdy. I know it's so nerdy. But I think that Dr. Seuss made a very educated decision to write his poetry, his children's poetry, in that style. Which Mm -hmm. I think is one of the reasons that he's lasted through the years. Because of that. And so... For Ron Howard, I don't know if he performed scansion on this verse, but because he was also able to identify the reason that this book is not only thematically classic, but also the fun nature of the language, I think he did a better job to bring the deeper meaning and also honor the childlike wonder that you get from reading a poem like this. Right. Because there's really nothing like Dr. Seuss. And I think that's another reason why, despite the recent news about him including some inappropriate (laughs) things in his books, I think that's a reason why his children's literature just continues because it's like ingrained, like this sort of Dr. Seuss-esque style has been ingrained in the American psyche. Because mm-hmm. it's fun. I mean, like, yeah. oh, I, I think that's sure. why. It's just like, like, how could you raise a kid without reading Cat in the Hat? You know, especially in our generation, in our parents' generation. It's just like, I just, okay, to summarize, Dr. Seuss knew what he was doing. He made a really fun style. Ron Howard identified that style and took it a step further. Took it really two success. steps further with the meta aspect of the movie yeah! because it's narrated. The text is almost lifted word for word and is read by Anthony Hopkins. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, we also Sir have to Anthony talk Hopkins. About the cast me. in this movie yes. too. But yes, go on. Yeah, Sir Anthony Hopkins. But the meta aspect is that again about what 15, 16 years before Deadpool, uh, you have oh, yeah. you have. The Grinch talking to camera, and he's the only character who breaks the fourth wall in the movie. Um, This time, I'll keep it off. Um, (laughs) So, and he's interacting with Anthony Hopkins, the narrator, and commenting on how he doesn't like to rhyme. He thinks it's too kitschy and cute, what Anthony Hopkins is saying, and is actively trying to avoid it. But he can't help. He is a who through and through. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, like a hereditary ailment, he can't escape it. That's so true. I didn't even think about that. Like, he cannot resist it because it's in his DNA to right. rhyme and yeah. be cute. <laughs> so, and I feel like I like the Deadpool movies. A lot of people find them cringe, but I think this movie and the Deadpool movies do meta right. It unfortunately has become a huge trend recently because of Deadpool. And I think a lot of directors, screenwriters, don't really understand how to deceptively put it in there so it's not annoying. Or utilize it. Because I think with the Grinch, the funny thing is, I I think you've completely nailed it. 
the the joke is that Ron Howard is still making a children's movie. Yeah. And like there's that whole scene where one of my favorite scenes, which is like <laughs> it's corely it's metacore. Yeah. Um but it's when the Grinch is directing Max on how to be a reindeer, which mm-hmm. is so funny. And he wears a hat that's supposed to reference Steven Spielberg. Or, or Ron Howard. Or Ron Howard himself yeah. wears a lot of hats. And he's kind of like pacing back and forth. Do you have, I think Danny has the quote up. Yeah, Oh, do you ahead. want me to read? Okay. All right, you're a reindeer. Here's your motivation. Your name is Rudolph. You're a freak with a red nose and nobody likes you. <laughs> then one day Santa picks you and you shave Christmas. <laughs> no, forget that part. We'll improvise. Just keep it kind of loosey-goosey. You hate Christmas. You're going to steal it. Saving Christmas is a lousy ending. Way too commercial. Action! <laughs> and then... <laughs> he puts the, the megaphone behind his back and does that dark thing. Yeah, and then, and then Max knocks the red nose off and he goes... Brilliant! You reject your own nose because it represents the glitter of commercialism. Why didn't I think of that? Cut, print, check the gate, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. But I think, like, he's poking fun at the fact that, like, you like you said, the Grinch is trying so hard to reject his identity as a who. It sounds so serious, like we're talking about a yeah. serious film. But he's trying so hard to reject his nature as a who because I think he's concerned that the further he becomes more of a who the less he's going to be in contact with what i think he knows to be the true meaning of christmas and in fact that's also represented when he goes to accept the cheermeister award and the more the who's accept him as the cheermeister because everyone other than the mayor they do start to accept him Mm -hmm. but the more they accept him the more uncomfortable he becomes and he's seduced for a while but then he's reminded of their gluttony. Yeah. And and that's when he kind of breaks. He's like, that's what it's about, isn't it? The avarice. Yeah. So the more he becomes like that, but but again, to bring it back to the whole directing thing, is like Ron Howard is also spoofing himself because people make fun of him for being kind of a journeyman director. Yeah. And he's been made fun of too for being like Opie, this kind of like, you know, dopey yeah. kid that he's gotten that since he was a kid. So I think he's like, the more I become a director the more people make fun of me, but I'm just like, I can't resist it. Like this is who I am kind of, you know what I mean? So it becomes that like meta statement also on like who he is. And as much as he wants to like reject what people have been impressing sort of on him as a personality as being, you know, this character or this kind of director or whatever, like it's hard for him to, to reject because it's just like, that's who he is, you know? So he kind of puts himself into the Grinch, which actually brings me around to kind of a fun fact about the Grinch book because I had never caught this before, but when I reread the book, it actually specifically says that the Grinch has been putting up with this who shit basically for 53 years. So the Grinch is supposed to be about 53 or 60, depending on when you think he was born or whatever. Yeah. But Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss was also 53 And in a few interviews after he wrote this, he actually said that he had based the Grinch on himself because he felt that he had sort of lost touch with Christmas. And so I thought it was kind of funny that he says the Grinch is 53. Yeah. And and so I think it's kind of like a fun way of also like Dr. Seuss put himself into the Grinch 
And then also Ron Howard kind of put himself into the Grinch in that scene, in that very meta way, which I think is like such a fun like nod wow. to, to the author. You're just opening my mind to new ways to interpret <laughs> this movie. I swear, you've had like three mic drops over this whole episode. <laughs> okay, well. What well, an endearing classic. Yeah, I, I think that this movie is just so, it's so special for so many reasons. Yeah. Well, I will never stop watching this around the holidays. I mean, yeah, it is just a marvel of hair and makeup. So a lot of people already know this because it's just been publicized so many times. I when probably it, don't, though, when, so share well, whenever, for me at least. Whenever you research this, you always hear that Jim Carrey was trained by someone from the CIA to in, oh, endure okay. torture like techniques. Seal or something. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, CIA, I I uh, yeah. a torture operative, okay. yeah. taught him how They're to endure t- uh, torture. Getting into the whole Grinch suit took two and a half hours, and then it t- also took an hour to take off. So is that true, though, that he was trained? Yes. Or is that just like a... Yes. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Yeah, so Jim Carrey said that on the Graham Norton show uh, a few years back wow. to confirm that. So yeah, he... Uh, Jim Carrey, it felt like he was being buried alive when he was getting the hair and makeup done. Honey, you wouldn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> He's so uh, funny. All the, all the hair on him was yak hair, uh, dyed green. Whoa, I didn't know that. Right. But Rainbow. it was such torture. And the shoot, this was a multi-month <laughs> shoot, as you could imagine. Jim Carrey spent a total of 92 days uh, in some form of makeup. He didn't wear the full suit all the time. You know, sometimes he had a shirt on and yeah. so he didn't have to wear the bodysuit. But basically the head suit he had, to the mask yeah. he had to have on. And also the yellow contacts, mm-hmm. which felt... If I've never put in context, but according to Jim Carrey, they like burned his eyes. I've I, never been able. I ha, I've I've had glasses for a long time, and I've tried contacts a few times, and I've never yeah. been able to do it. And those are just prescription. I can't imagine how like yeah, just co- cosmetic because they have to be bigger. I right. think they have to like completely cover your iris and yeah, that just the, sounds so uncomfortable. super uncomfortable. And in some scenes, the pain was so great that. He just didn't wear them at all, and they had to CGI his yellow yeah. eyes. Well, that's a difference. He has yellow eyes in the... Oh, I guess, yeah. Let's leave it there. In the movie. Cut, in red... print, yeah. check the gate. Check the gate. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Very early into the shoot, Jim Carrey was struggling to move on because he simply couldn't do it under all this makeup and give a good performance, if anything. He fell into an almost state of depression because it was so tough. Wow. So Ron Howard did two things. One... On one day of set, he wore the full Grinch makeup to really? to show like in solidarity that yeah. like like I'm with you, Jim. Like I know this is tough. Like yeah. let's do this together. Oh, that's very sweet. And the second thing he did was bring in a CIA operative uh, specializes in torture and how to endure endure torture. And basically, it's about training like mentally your mind to go to a place, mm-hmm. but also he advocated for smoking (laughs) and cigarettes in between takes so jim carrey like he had to take up smoking and and he was just on oh the cia person told jim carrey to yes he was the one advocating whoa yeah he said like literally he's like to endure torture people like smoke i mean it's very calming (laughs) sure and to also like hit yourself in, in in the leg so the clip on the jim norton show he's like in full Grinch uniforms, like his the hairs around his mouth burning off because he's lighting a cigarette, and he's also punching his leg in between takes, Holy going, shit. "It's for the kids! It's for the kids!" <laughs> <laughs> so that's so chaotic. Yeah, 
Um, the famous Rick Baker did all the prosthetic makeup for Jim Carrey. He's the person who did, who made the models for the Gremlins, the Joe Dante movie. Uh, you know, I've never seen that, but I know yeah. the um, characters. Yeah. So yeah, Jim Carrey in, endured torture Insane. to create art. We should talk a little bit more about the cast. So Jim Carrey, obviously great performance. Taylor Momsen, the cutest kid ever. Max was played by a girl dog named Kelly. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Good girl, Kelly. Yeah. Jeffrey Tambor, deliciously evil and smarmy yeah. as the mayor, Augustus Mayhew. And real life, too, apparently. Um, <laughs> Christine Varinsky as uh, Martha May. The breathy, like, so, like, this movie is just so horny. It's so funny to watch She's it. She's so hilarious. So I think, actually, one of the first movies I ever saw with her in it was Mamma Mia!, and she's also so funny in that movie. And she's yeah. kind of the same, too, where she's just like this overly horny yeah. older woman. <laughs> just, I mean, she carved out a niche for herself, and she rocks it. Yeah. I love her as a performer. <laughs> um, Bill Irwin as Lulu Who. Lulu Who? <laughs> yeah. He is a big puppeteer, or he's also kind of like Doug Jones, where he's big in the like the prosthetic makeup community. Like, he plays... Cool. Those like creature characters, yeah, like Andy Circus with like, exactly with mocap, mocap yeah. yeah. He uh, Bill Irwin was one of the robots in Interstellar. You know those monolithic robots that move around. No, I only saw that once. Um, yeah. So he he plays the voice for. He's a big voice actor, but he's great as the father, who is although well intentioned and loves his daughter, is so focused on I guess what the book is talking about, the the gluttony and avarice of Christmas, yeah. where he doesn't really he doesn't realize that his daughter is desperately trying to have a conversation with him and break through to him about mm-hmm. how really all she cares about with Christmas is a, like being with her family, right. not about the gifts. Like yeah. like what's Christmas about? Revenge <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. Yeah, so <laughs> she she does she walks such a perfect line of being so so cute and sweet and innocent. A lot of child actors, I think, struggle with that. Like you were talking about, if they just like if the fame goes to their head, if they've been in the industry too long, they can really lose that. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't. She's yeah. just got this great. Oh, she's so perfect. Yeah, SNL's Molly Shannon as Betty Lou Who. So great. Yeah, she's one of my favorite actors. I think she's everything she's in. Yeah. Wet Hot American Summer, another one of my favorite mm-hmm. comedies. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Clint Howard, uh, Ron Howard's brother, who's in most of his movies. Yes. Uh, great as, uh, I didn't even know his name until you saw it in the credits. Hubris. Yeah, Hubris. <laughs> that's right. Um, he plays the mayor's kind of secretary. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to add to that. So uh, you've, again, turned me into such a film bro of going and mining IMDb. Hell yeah. For for actors and whatever so i actually this is gonna be fun for me i think my mom is really gonna be like tickled i guess by some people so tj thine or tyne i'm not sure how to pronounce his last name but i saw him on the imdb page and i was like wait a second i'm familiar with him because he's on bones He's one of the main characters, one of the squints in Bones, ah. and he is one of the first actors on screen. He plays one of those little jokers who, like, knocks, is trying to impress a flame. And oh, Cindy's older brother, right? The, the is older, it brothers? older brother? I believe so. so they're yeah. both her brothers, because I, I wasn't so. sure. They're yeah. bo- okay, so one of Cindy's older brothers, and actually, both of those actors are the people that I'm going to point out. So he is in Bones, and I was just shocked, because after. 
I figured out who it was. I was watching him throughout the movie and he's so obscured by his makeup. Mm-hmm. Successfully so. Like he really looks like a who and I could not tell. I never would have known that if I hadn't looked at the IMDb page. So that's fun. Yeah. The other guy that plays her older brother is Jeremy Howard. And he is in a whole bunch of stuff. He's kind of a character actor. Yeah. But a movie that my mom and I loved when I was growing up was Sydney White which is an Amanda Bynes movie, and it's an adaptation of Snow White. Oh. And so her friends in college are the seven dorks. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a cute movie. I, want, I rewatched it to see if it held up, and it actually kind of does. Um, and he's in that, and he is like the funniest dork in that movie. I was obsessed with him as a kid. So he actually plays Cindy Lou Who's older brother, mm-hmm. which I thought is so cute. A couple other people that are in there as like background Who's are Bryce Dallas Howard, which is Ron Howard's daughter. Actress, director. Now, yeah, as mm-hmm. an older person, right. Um, Deep Roy, who is in the Tim Burton adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Uh, he plays like the Oompa Loompa, like the main Oompa Loompa. Deep Roy, what a Deep name. Deep Roy. Yeah, he's, he's also a character actor who's been in a lot of stuff. Right, right. And not only that, Vern Troger, who plays Mini-Me is also in here. Wow. Yeah, he's like a background who. And I, I would have no idea until I started mining IMDb yeah. for these names. Gotta look at that DB, the database, <laughs> the baby. DB. Um, oh, and the last person I wanted to highlight is Mindy Sterling, who plays the Grinches. I would argue that he has queer mothers, which I yeah. love. Um, There's no reason not to... Because I think like growing up, I feel like I was like, oh, they're just like, they just live together. They're just friends. <laughs> they're just friends. <laughs> That's what I thought That's too. honestly what I thought. And then like a few, I don't know, like a couple years, whatever, a long time ago, um, I was like, I think they're gay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, did, went over my head as a kid, yeah, which is yeah. so funny. Um, but anyway, one of his mothers is played by Mindy Sterling, who's in like Austin Powers. Oh, right, she right. She plays yep. like the... the Fraulein. Uh, Fraulein, exactly. Yeah. Um, w- which I just like, I've always loved her character. Yeah. She's so funny. She's a great character actor as well. So those were those were just like more fun. I guess they're cameos, but they're not even cameos because you don't even really know that they're in there. Re- sure. It's even hard to recognize Mindy Sterling. Yeah. I think. So Definitely. anyway, just a fun cast. Yeah. Fun cast and the crew too is made up of greats. So this was nominated for three Oscars, Best Art Direction and Set Direction, which is now Best Production Design. Uh, it was also nominated for Best Costume Design, uh, Rita Reik. And then it won the Oscar for Best Makeup. I mean, how think, could it not? How could it not? Yeah. yeah. Could it not? So Rick Baker and Gail Roll Ryan. Um, they won the Oscar for that in 2001. What? I, I have to correct myself. Vern Troyer. I misread my handwriting. Vern Troyer is the guy in Austin Powers as well. Gotcha. Sorry. I just so, to get that in there. Yeah. I mean, in another dimension, Jim Carrey would have been nominated for Best Actor. Yeah. Uh, but sadly, he just was not taken seriously. Uh, he wasn't even taken seriously when the Truman Show came out. He won a Golden Globe, but like, who cares about the Golden Globes? No one. Come on. So yeah, what a film from a classic book to a classic movie. This is just these are the episodes I love doing because it fills me with such warmth and happiness. And the movie itself 
it's at a perfect hour 44 minutes with credits Truly. there's a lot of credits because so many people worked on the set design and makeup so it's like realistically from the first frame to the end title card it's only about like 95 minutes or so so it's like perfect length for a kid's movie this is something I wrote down. I think we're kind of like closing our episode, but something I wrote down was it speaks volumes about the movie that I can't read the book without hearing Jim Carrey's Grinch voice in my head. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I can't even, Game even the narrator match. part. Check yeah. the gate. <laughs> and honestly, another thing I wrote was you can't argue with a book that has introduced a noun into common vernacular, which is what we talked about earlier about Grinch. Yeah. So. Definitely. A huge part of our lives. My brother Tim and I probably rewound the scene a thousand times growing up where Jim Carrey, he crashed the small mini car and was running away from the explosion. And went, oh my gosh. Yeah! We, <laughs> oh! we rewound that so many times that I think our DVD is scratched yeah. because we just, in our DVD player is kaput, uh, our old one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a, what a film. So out of four stars, what would you give the book? The book, I think it's an above average children's book. Mm-hmm. I think it's, and these, this might come through my nostalgia glasses a little bit, but it's a four out of four. No, but it's a three out of four for me, just because I still think that the Grinch should have lost his loot and come back yeah. empty handed. I think that's just the the key flaw, but I love it. I read it all the time mm-hmm. during the holidays. I read it about five times for this podcast. <laughs> Um, because I was trying to do the scansion for it. So, 3.5. And then the movie, of course, is a 4 out of 4. Yeah. You just can't beat it. It's it, Although I'm not knocking the, the 0.5 of a star off for the end. I don't know. Maybe I should you know, do 3.5. Uh, you can criticize something and still have it be 4 out of 4. I know, but it bugs me every time I watch it. True. So, because it just, <laughs> it's like a recurring thought, maybe I should just say 3.5. But that's the only point i just like again like when you have the chance to adapt something and you don't correct the flaw of the original source material you're gonna knock a 0.5 of the star off for me for me it's simply too close to my heart to knock that although i agree with you a hundred percent uh but i'm going three stars for the book and four for the movie it's it's a classic a holiday classic and in that spirit listeners Thank you for listening. We value your downloads and comments and reviews. That's like and the texts big, and, and questions. Te- yeah. Like we got so many questions about this at our Thanksgiving and um, holiday gatherings. Like we we're blown away every time someone says that they listen to our podcast. Right. And like because we re- like I know it's kind of like stupid to say this, but we always do it for ourselves because we just enjoy having these conversations. But the fact that people get something out of it, yeah, and it sparks conversation on top of that, like. Yeah. Can't ask for a better Christmas we, gift. <laughs> we, we do this without the microphone. So the fact that we, we can, you know, post these and have response from our friends and family and strangers is, is the real gift to be as cheesy as possible. Well, I start these conversations and then Danny quickly says, save it for the pod. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me yet. Save it for the pod. Right. Yeah. But anyway. So yeah. Happy holidays. We'll be back next year. See you next year. Yeah, stay healthy because <laughs> um, COVID is starting to spike in LA again. Right. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll coming back strong in the new year. We're taking a holiday break and we'll, we'll be back shortly. With Sideways. Yeah. Anime. So yeah, I cannot wait for that. Uh, spoiler alert. Alrighty, team. I hope you have a nice roast beast <laughs> and we'll see you on the next one.